following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. discussing in the uh, esoteric sense the nature of uh, psychology particularly in relation to mind its definition and its relationship to our interior psychology and what exactly mind is and why it is important for us to study mind within these type of uh, teachings because there are many misconceptions about mind that need to be addressed if we wish to advance and to experience the real teachings found within religion. So Samuel and Vior states in The Revolution of the Dialectic, his formidable psychological work, in mental dynamics it is urgent to know how and why the mind functions. We can make of the mind a useful instrument only by resolving that how and why. Intellectual liberty is only possible on the basis of understanding, comprehension, and knowledge of the different functions of the mind. Only by knowing the diverse mechanisms of the mind is how we liberate ourselves from it. This is how we make of the mind a useful instrument. So we state often in these teachings that mind is the obstacle to genuine spiritual realization and actualization of divine principles. Our definition of mind is uh, specific in these studies. When many people in modern psychology hear the term mind, they think the physical brain. But we know from esotericism as well as direct experience such as out of the body, within dreams, and by awakening our psychic faculties, we realize that the mind is something else, and that the physical brain is merely an instrument. It is merely a vehicle through which mind can express. So in this, in this lecture, we're going to talk in depth in relation with... Uh, 
a book by Samael and Vior, known as The Revolution of the Dialectic, as well as a Revolution of Beelzebub, in which he discusses the nature of mind and intuition, but also the teachings of the Venerable Master Moria, who was a great resurrected initiate, author of The Dayspring of Youth, from whom we quote in this lecture. So the brain is merely a machine that processes energies. It is not mind. We have our physicality, our physical organism, which is a marvelous machine, which is merely a transmitter of forces and spiritual principles. We find this primarily within our nervous systems. And the health of the nervous system is essential to esoteric practice, which Moria covers very beautifully in his book. So we find here in this image a picture of the cerebral spinal nervous system, which is the physical brain and its spinal medulla. Master Samael explains that the spinal medulla is the throne of the spirit, meaning uh, the throne in which the energies of the being manifest. So therefore, those who have a healthy nervous system, a healthy physical brain, Likewise, have a healthy psychological interior because our nature is psychosomatic, meaning it is psychological and spiritual, but likewise it is somatic, in Greek relating to soma, which is body. So our nervous system is literally the transmitter of forces from our physical to our internal worlds. Now these energies manifest in many, many ways, which we're going to be discussing. So the spinal medulla is what? Is the spiritual? It is the throne of the spirit. And so this nervous system circulates energies and forces which are necessary to comprehend. If we truly want to achieve dominion of the mind within ourselves and to achieve the awakening of the consciousness, experience of divinity. So the physical brain is we know from science relates to uh, many chemical, biochemical, and uh, subtle processes. In esotericism, we know that we circulate atomic forces in relation to our nervous system. These atomic forces are spiritual and psychological at the same time. So we find in this image the nervous system, which Master Moria explains is the central system. It is the center of our body. And in Kabbalah, the spinal medulla is literally the tree of life. It is what holds up our body and unites us with God. And so we have to understand that the nerves, being sensitive organisms within themselves, transmit vital forces which are essential to yoga, in which we actualize through our many practices of mantra, and pranayama, but especially through the science of sexual magic. So in this uh, excerpt from the Dayspring of Youth, Master Moria states the following. In our central system, meaning our spinal medulla, we observe a thin membrane covering the organs that intermittently registers the finer currents of nature that pass through, through day, during day and night. 
These organs are sounding boards held together by their tonic structures. Each one registers a different wavelength, and their vibrations emit an audible sound. Not physical, but psychological. Relating to our magic ear, the chakra of the throat, specifically. So, our different physical nerve cells are similar to these and are also attuned to receive certain vibrations. To evoke the activity of our Latin, latent atomic centers, we use the seven vowels of nature called mantras. So we know in our spinal medulla, in esoteric teachings of yoga, that we have seven chakras, seven vital centers, which we activate through the seven vowels, sacred vibrations and words. We have the vowel E that vibrates in the pineal gland, in between the eyebrows, which is essential to the nature of perception, both physical and psychological. We have the vowel, or E also relates to the crown chakra at the peak of the skull. We also have the vowel E in the throat. E-H-E? E-H, yes. E in the throat the chakra of the larynx, which relates to clairaudience, the, the capacity to hear psychic sounds within meditation or even out of the body, within the dream state. The vowel E in the pineal gland relates to, uh, in the middle of the brain, relates to uh, our clairvoyance, our perception. Crown chakra, pineal the crown chakra of the pineal gland relates to a omniscient type of perception, very elevated state of being, which is accessed through samadhi, spiritual experience. The vowel uh, E also vibrates the pituitary gland between the eyebrows, which is the chakra of clairvoyance. The vowel uh, O in the heart, the cardiac chakra, awakens the faculty of intuition. The vowel U in the solar plexus, relates to telepathy, the science known as transience, uh, the interchange of messages of a psychic nature between sentient beings. We have the vowel ah, the pulmonary chakras in the lungs. Ah, which gives one the capacity to ex uh, remember past lives. Because remember the first sound a child makes is ah when it's born. Because in those moments that child remembers how he got he or she got there. And it is unpleasant to remember that fact. We have the vowel M related to the prostate or the uterus. As in Mary M. Yes, M. Which sounds like the noise of a bull. It's prostate. Yes, in the men and the uterus in women. Then we have the vowel S, which is the sacred fire, which is relating to our cossacks, the base of our spine. These mantras help the aspirant to activate these Latin centers. And those energies charge our nervous systems, which is why mantra every day is essential in order to fully control and comprehend the mind. 
So in these studies, we talk about mind, that it is our obstacle. And again, we make the distinction that it is not the physical brain. In order to explain what mind is, and how to work with those powerful energies through mantra, we discuss the tree of life, the Kabbalah. In this diagram, you have 10 sephiroth, 10 spheres of consciousness. These are different modalities of being relating to the most elevated energies of the cosmos at the top, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also have uh, the uh, most condensed forces and energies present within our physical body. We are at the bottom of the tree of life. So our consciousness ranges in depth and, and complexity in, in terms of energy in relation to these Sephiroth. And so we talk about the need to control the mind and that the mind is really our worst enemy. The mind in itself, in the Hebrew, is netzach. We find here at the right, bottom right of the tree of life, the right pillar. To the left we have hod, which is emotions, the astral body, or better said, lunar astral vehicle. It is a uh, animal body of desire. It is a vehicle or better said, these Sephiroth represent different vehicles of consciousness. When in different realms of matter and energy, we subsist in those types of uh, bodies, material, material vehicles. The mind, Netzach and Hod emotions, uh, are really the habitat of desire, meaning the animal ego whether we call it uh, hatred, pride, vanity, lust, etc. Below we have Yasod, which means uh, foundation. It is our vital energies. Those forces which give life to our physical body and govern our biochemical, neurological, metabolic, and catabolic processes in our body. And our body is Malkut, the bottom of the tree. So notice we have this lower quaternary, lower four spheres, Netzach, the mind, Hod, the emotions, Yesod, our vitality, and Malkut, our physicality. We call these the four bodies of sin because they are the expression of our ego. And so our, e our ego, animal desire, uses these vehicles represented by the tree in order to act whether physically or in the dream state. There are animal ego bodies. We call them lunar bodies, meaning they belong to nature. We receive these vehicles as a gift of nature in order to be able to subsist and to enact within the internal planes. But in the objective sense, we don't call these uh, the genuine solar bodies of the being, which is something separate. Those four lower are lunar bodies? Yes. Lunar vehicles. Vehicle. Belonging to the moon, belonging to nature. Animals have 
lunar vehicles, and we have these vehicles as well. But the truth is that we do not, we're not conscious of this fact specifically. Now, uh, it's important to note that above this quaternary, we have what is known as the middle triad. We have Chesed, the spirit, which is God, our real being, what we call the innermost. We have Geburah on the left, which is the divine soul or consciousness, which never mixes with ego or is not contaminated by desire. We have below uh, Tifereth, meaning willpower, which is the human soul, which is really, in our essence, what we are. We are an extract or a, a fraction of that soul which emanated down through these different levels of dimensionality until reaching our physical plane. Now our, our willpower can either serve God or the devil. But the problem is we choose the devil, meaning our own animal pride, vanity, hatred, gluttony, etc. This fraction of Tifereth, the soul, has emanated into this lower quaternary and has entered into or has developed desire, ego. And so our mind constitutes, uh, is a vehicle of nature which processes thought, the experience of thought. Yes, and in relation to this lecture, Tifereth relates to uh, what grants us access to intuition, which is the being. Now, Tifereth, uh, our will, typically follows animal desire, animal ego. And so we have to remember that these are vehicles that can express either the being or our animality. But because we have lunar vehicles belonging to nature, they only know how to fulfill the will of desire. We have uh, the need to create what we call the solar vehicles. This is the process of alchemy described in the perfect matrimony and the mystery of the golden blossom. But our goal is not so much to speak about the solar bodies, but to help us comprehend the nature of our mind as it is. Because we have the spirit, Atman, in Hinduism, who needs to control the mind. And so we have a very famous scripture called the Kapta Upanishad, which teaches us how the mind is merely an instrument which can either serve God or the devil. Know the self, Atman, as one sitting in the chariot, the body as the chariot, the intellect, which in Sanskrit intellect translates as buddhi. Buddhi is consciousness, the divine soul. The intellect, buddhi, the charioteer, and the mind, the reins. The senses, they say, are the horses. The objects of the senses, their path. When he, Atman, is in union with the body, the senses, and the mind, 
then the wise people call him the enjoyer. He who has no understanding and whose mind the rain is never firmly held, his senses, horses, are unmanageable, like vicious horses of a charioteer. But he who has understanding and whose mind is firmly held, his senses are under control, like good horses of a charioteer. He who has no understanding, who is unmindful and always impure, never reaches that place, but enters into the round of births. But he who has understanding, he who is mindful and always pure, reaches indeed that place from whence he is not born again. But he who makes understanding his charioteer and who holds the reins of the mind, he reaches the end of his journey, and that is the highest place, the all-pervading self. May I just add, that seems to be directly what's in line with the teaching on the, in the Torah the charioteer and his Merkava. Yes. He's right in there. and it, it, they, they state in some of the lessons in the BOTA, especially in one lesson, the way to bring in a higher spirit to give you illumination, purity, etc., along those spiritual lines. He's, the, the chariot is still. In other words, they say, be, become ye transparent to right. the light as it comes in through the top, crown chakra. Right. And all the symbols you mentioned in there about the, the, the horses, you know, not look, holding on to the reins and the emotions, it sums up in that one card, and they do call it, as you know, victory. Yes, and that is an excellent connection to make because victory in Hebrew is netzach, which is the mind. And so the chariot, Arcanum 7 in Gnostic Tarot, is how the spirit controls the mind through the four horses. Well, the four horses literally are four bodies. Well, they had the two horses. Oh, two horses, excuse me. But we can also say four horses because we have Netzach, the mind, we have Hod, the heart, we have Yasod, our vitality, and then we have our physicality. So this explains to us that the mind is merely an instrument if we know how to control through meditation, self-observation, and restraint of our desires. We can uh, march on the path that leads to the being. Now, it's important to understand that, again, these are vehicles. They are not our legitimate identity. When we drive a car, we do not say, this is me. We say, it is my car, it is my vehicle. It's something I operate in. The same thing with our internal bodies. Now, the problem in our condition is that we have so much ego, developed so much desire, that our lunar vehicles are integrated with the ego and therefore it has a very dark appearance if we awaken in the dream state to perceive uh, the lunar bodies as they are but what's important to grasp in this lecture is how in order to understand the mind we need to understand uh, occult anatomy occult physiology especially so when we talked about the physical brain the spinal medulla it is merely the transmitter of forces from the tree of life into our body those nerve filaments, the axons and neurons of the, of the brain, transmit literally electrical forces. Scientists know this as a fact. What many ignore is that there are psycho-spiritual forces that are active and present, which we need to harmonize and to actualize in our practice if we want to regenerate our brain and therefore acquire health in our internal bodies. 
So we're going to talk about the mental body specifically. And in this next image, we find a very famous glyph or uh, graphic available in the Dayspring of Youth. This was the image published originally with that text. This is drawn by an initiate, very clairvoyant, who demonstrates the ultra-physiology and ultra-biology of the mental body. So when we talk about internal vehicles, we have to understand that these are not vague things. These are not concepts. These are living, breathing, material organisms, just as much as the physical body. Excuse me, at that point, would that constitute what you're saying a lot of it, the etheric body, the one right behind the physical? Yes. The vital body is also a material vehicle, but relating to matter and energy relating to the fourth dimension. The astral and mental bodies relate to the fifth dimension, relating to matter and energy in that level. In this image, we find that the mental body is a material vehicle. It has its own organs, its spinal medulla, its own brain, its own methods of acquiring energy, of consumption, of, of metabolism, of eating. It is not like the physical body, but it has its own physiology, which is demonstrated by the fact that with a healthy brain, we have a healthy mental body. Those who have an unhealthy mental body eventually crystallize those illnesses into the physical brain and develop dementia or schizophrenia, many severe illnesses relating to this body. So in this image we find the aura of the mental body and the specific senses of this vehicle are uh, depicted in this image. What's most notable is the aura, as I mentioned, which is... Uh, in this image, we have uh, the mental body of an initiate. This is an image of a, a student who is developing him or herself on the path. We have around him his aura known as the silver shield in uh, esotericism. When we begin to work with divine spiritual forces by channeling them through our physical brain and our spinal medulla, we, in turn, attract these type of atomic forces into our aura. So when the mental body begins to develop what is called the silver shield, it is like a sounding board or a barrier that protects one's mind from negative forces on the exterior. So if we seek to harmonize ourselves with the divine and to reject the negative impulses or energies present in our society and our cities, we need to work with our silver shield, which is built of an, uh, atomic energies relating to our seminal tract, which we're going to be explaining. So notice here in this image, what's not really visible is that the, the sense of the mental body is, is uh, developed by truncated cones. These are called modules that transmit and receive thought. Thought is a substance, it's an energy. It's something very material that has already been measured by, I believe, Russian scientists many decades ago. But not, this doesn't really readily get publicized because it's disturbing to many. The truth is the mind is a type of matter and energy, and that thought is a substance. Therefore, if we are negative in our thoughts, we attract those type of atoms to our mind, and they pollute our atmosphere, as the, the term that Moria gives in this book. 
The atmosphere is our aura, our psychological predisposition. So these cones attract atoms and forces, which if we direct our own mind, we can attract the solar, divine, Christic forces, which are most prevalent in our seminal energy. What's also notable is that this figure is surrounded by uh, what seems to be clouds, which look like sperm. These are the seminal currents of the body, born from the physical body, which are transmuted. Forces which, when we harness, can strengthen the mental body, heal it, and guard it from negative influences. So we talk a lot about atoms and energy in this science, which Moya um, again explains in this text. The atmosphere of the mental body is controlled by the atmosphere of this world. But by breathing in the energy manifesting in this new age through yoga, we can throw off this control. By aspiring when breathing, we attract atoms of this new energy into us and slowly conform to their wavelength. These atoms bring us a sensation of joy similar to a morning in spring. So we talk a lot about in this teachings about pranayama, of mantra, and, and uh, exercises with breath. This is what Moya means by aspiration. Because through the breath to inspire the life force in the, in the air, the prana, we attract those atoms, those forces which are pure. They enter our lungs, our blood, through our circulatory system, and eventually condense into what is known as our semen, our seminal energies, or our seminal matter. This, this, is, this is actually when you inspire and you work on bringing, especially first thing in the morning, all this prana that they, all, the, all the mysteries talk about, that affects the seminal forces. Yes. We are literally assimilating the atoms of Christ in the air. And when they enter in our organism, they activate our seminal forces. This is represented by the book of Genesis, when the Ruach Elohim, the spirit, floated above the surface of the waters. And then Benford discusses, or that chapter explains, the creation of the human being. This is symbolic. So the way that we create the real human being made into God's image, the image of the spirit, the innermost, is by working with the, these atomic forces specifically. So aspiration is the science of breath to inspire and to elevate through aspiration. And Moria explains this more in depth. Within and about us are highly developed atoms. And in our breathing exercises, we attract them into our bodies. They then supply our nervous systems with their energies. And as man is a result of his own type of atoms and atmosphere, he is judged by the quality of atoms he attracts. Just as he is judged by the kind of people with whom he associates. So our atoms determine how we are judged. Our aura is very readily seen by clairvoyants or angels, more specifically. Therefore, we seek to clean our mind, our mental atmosphere, our mental body. And we do that through the science of uh, aspiration or the science of mercury. Mercury in alchemical science is sexual energy. And mercury, the symbol is found even in this image where the man is holding in his left hand the caduceus mercury, which represents the spinal medulla, the central system, 
with two cords that ascend upward and inward to the brain. So through aspiration, those forces from the seminal tract rise up our spinal medulla and saturate our mind with uh, Christic forces, Christic atoms. What you just described, they have it on the, uh, well, actually the first card, the magician they call it, but I haven't, you're the only one who really brought out what actually happens. You mentioned the cortices, they have the magician who's pointing to earth. Right. A lot of that's it's important, but it's surface meaning. But you really, what you're talking here, how, how it, it affects the seminal rising up, also the light coming down because he has the, and there again, that's a sexual force up here. But I haven't seen any literature outside of you explaining it, real meanness. It's, uh, it's hidden in symbols and it's cryptic. I wish they explained the symbols more. Mm -hmm. So we find in this image also that uh, the mind relates to Mercury. There are occultists who made the mistake of attributing the mind, Netzach, with Venus. But we find, as taught by Moria, Samael and Vior, and other initiates, who were very awakened, that the mind, Netzach, relates to Mercury. So the health of our mind depends on the health of our energies, specifically, which Moria explains very beautifully and clearly. Every person is different in their range of passion and desire. And the seminal system responds to them if we are animal in our passions, or if we are animal in our passions, we collect such atoms. Therefore, we should aspire for purity and seek the greatest intelligence within our central system. So our seminal tract determine, attracts either uh, pure energies, pure forces, or animal lustful elements. So those pure, divine, Christic atoms we assimilate through pranayama, through breath work, through mantra. We call them transformation atoms, as well as aspiring atoms, which elevate our level of being, our, our way of consciousness. And so these atoms saturate our aura in the mental body and form the silver shield, which become a protective sounding board between our own mental atmosphere as well as the atmosphere of the world and allows us to read many mysteries in nature. Netzach relates to elemental magic, the work with the souls of plants, minerals, etc. And so a healthy mind helps us to be in greater communion with those intelligences. You said that the health of our minds depends on our, what strength was that? Uh, the sexual strength. It depends on the sexual strength. So this is why, as the foundation of all genuine esoteric discipline, we state that uh, our sexual behavior completely determines the state of our mind. And that those who are lustful, who engage in acts of uh, prostitution, masturbation, fornication, the the, any abuse of that vital divine force which we have in sexuality, that disturbs the mind. It pollutes the mind with negative substances. And as the foundation of all religion, it is really the beginning of the path. Learning to restrain our animal impulse taking the energies of sexuality, our seminal tract, and aspiring with purity, with divine forces, pure forces. 
And so it's important never to indulge in the lower animal nature of our mind, which is expresses through uh, pornography as well as uh, any abuse of the sexual force, which is fornication. The word fornication relates to furnace, to burn with that passion, which is never satiated, and which is in, culminated in the orgasm. So that sexual pleasure is strictly prohibited within occult science because the expulsion of the sexual fluid, the expulsion of our seminal forces, literally takes billions of crystic atoms that we have in our body and our seminal tract and expels them, wastes them. This is why in the book of Leviticus, uh, it says, any man who shall have an emission of semen shall bathe in water and be unclean. This is, uh, has a physical component, but more importantly, it's psychological. Because the psychological atmosphere of the mental body becomes charged with atoms of a lower nature. Because just as there are divine forces in the cosmos, there are also lunar animal forces. Relating to the inverted diagram of the tree of life, known as klipot, which is hell. The world of the shells. So Moria teaches us this. If we wish to enter into occult science, we must work with that sexual energy, which he calls determinative energy. And why, is this why does he call it determinative? Because this energy determines our very way of being. If we use it for a selfish will, we then uh, destroy ourselves. But if we use that energy with the determination to change, then we can strengthen our spiritual being with these forces. So he continues here. Many occultists are told to conserve their creative energy to master the lower sex nature. Atoms always find their own level. It is the vapor that rises from the surface of our seminal fluid that gives us this determinative energy in nature. The demand for personal power will not bring these higher forces into operation. And so he's talking here that Selfish will does not achieve aspiration that is acquired by silencing the mind and to remember the being. And so the demand for personal power will not bring these higher forces into operation. But we can evoke a force that binds us to our lower animal nature. And this gives the black magician his power. So we talk about white magic and black magic. White magic is to follow the will of God. Christ. Black magic is to follow one's selfish will, animal desire, ego. This is the primary demarcation is in sexuality. How do we use sexual force? Because this determines our life, whether for suffering or for genuine elevation into to the realms of God. This is why Moria taught us that spiritual discipline and ethics is mandatory. And that this relates to the sixth commandment of Moses, thou shalt not fornicate. Not to expel that force, but to conserve it, to retain it, to transform it. To take those atoms and to raise them into our interior being through aspiration. He says here in the Dayspring of Youth, It is also imperative that the moral character should be above suspicion. For the student has the... De 
has to demand the use of a solar force in his work. And if he is immoral or sexually weak, he will soon befoul himself with the lower substances of the world's atmosphere. You may not be familiar with this image, but this is Merlin and Nivian in Arthurian legend. The downfall of Merlin and his eventual death was because he gave in to his lust. He followed his, his desire for this woman. I believe her name is Nivian. Some, some traditions say Vivian. Merlin was a magician, right? Yes. He was uh, someone who practiced this teaching. But as, an, as a symbol, he represents any disciple that is developing their mental body, is developing these atomic forces. But he fell, you said? It, it can be interpreted that he did because he, was, he gave in to his lust for this woman. And that led to his destruction. Or he was buried, I believe, in a tomb, which has other meanings. But we find that the nature of the sexual force is fundamental, especially in relation to the study of mind. So our nervous system, our physical brain, known as the central system, is nourished by seminal transmutation. Uh, there's a study, I believe, by Dr. Kellogg. We have the article available on one of our websites where he explained that individuals who are continent, meaning they did not ever ejaculate their energies, had tremendously uh, seminally nourished brains. And that there is a direct relationship physically with the semen to the physical brain. And that the semen has many nourishing vital principles which are essential to the health of the pineal gland. As I mentioned to you before, the pineal gland relates to our perception. When we observe with our consciousness, we activate our pineal gland, as well as the pituitary gland in between the eyebrows. So the gonads, whether in the man or woman, the testicles or ovaries, these channel those forces up the two energetic channels of the caduceus and mercury to our brain. And so the health of the brain, our nervous system, depends on that conservation. Individuals who are overly sexed, who expel their semen, whether in men or women, this is a seminal fluid, whether masculine or feminine, they degenerate their brain. And it was long held as a notion that schizophrenia was a result of masturbation. This has been known though, for a while, even, even when people say it jokingly when you grow up, oh, you know, everyone loses your brain. There's so much truth behind that. And even though there are many scientists today who are trying to negate the fact that masturbation does cause damage to the brain because they enjoy fornication, uh, the facts stand for themselves. So we need to understand that the mind in its physical component, as well as the energetic component, the mental body, is fortified by these seminal currents. It's also important to note that in these studies, uh, we make the demarcation between white magic and black magic. Both white magicians and black magicians use the mind but for very different purposes. The white magician submits his mind to his innermost. This is the meaning of Islam, to submit to Allah, to God. 
But the black magician fortifies his mind or her mind in order to acquire power over the elements in nature. But if it's not followed under the direction of God, there's an imbalance. Because Christ, God, only respects the balance of nature. It does not violate karma, which is a fundamental law, cause and effect. And so when we study, when we enter these teachings, we hear a lot about black magicians and sorcerers and demons and the need to protect ourselves from these influences. It's important to explain what is the fundamental method that any sorcerer or magician, black magician uses in order to divert students from the path. Moria explains the following. And uh, in relation to entering to the lower regions of the tree of life, or better said, the tree of death, the shadow of the tree of life, known as Klipot. When we enter these spheres of intensified intellect, we are told that we shall be given great power and their highest secret wisdom if we will but surrender our souls to them. The student is probably aware that there are schools of mental yoga on earth, teaching systems of logic that will eventually impress and direct minds as they wish. And such schools are like the schools of these magicians whose processes of logic will prove that black is white. So any type of hypnotism, uh, suggestion, manipulation of the mind, mind control, trying to control the mind of other people, that is sorcery. Max Eindelson, what you just said, hypnotism like that, deliberately done like that, is a crime against the Holy Ghost. Those were his words, Eindelson. But he also said, even though they can do that, there's one spot they can't reach that belongs to God, the Creator. But still, a lot of damage is done. But they can't get it. In other words, the individual spark that was created, they can't get to that. But they can control the individual. And he said, it's really a crime. And Steiner, all of them said about hypnotism, bad, very bad, they said. So we have, uh, and we'll explain also, we have certain atomic forces which cannot be manipulated by negative forces. But here uh, we're emphasizing that the schools of sorcery use the intellect in order to manipulate others. Moria continues. We never discuss or argue over spiritual things on the higher planes. But the lower spheres bring us in touch with scintillating intellect, not intelligence, that is almost overpowering. And we feel drawn to this magnetism which these sadistic and brilliant schoolmen possess. By argument, they will show how beautiful evil is, that the world is ruled by evil, and that eventually we must succumb to their master's direction. So notice in this image we have uh, a vampire which uh, is painted very beautifully and depicts this type of diabolic psychology. And so we have to understand that the intellect can be a useful instrument for the being. But if it is directed by the, the animal will ego, then the intellect is our, really our worst enemy. We do not pronounce ourselves against study profound intellectual, spiritual culture, scientific analysis, profound comprehension of the mind. 
What we instead reject is intellect devoid of spirituality, as evidenced by the atomic bomb. And so many times, uh, whether in our dreams or even physically, we may encounter people who attempt to divert us from really what we know is best, and they do it through the intellect. They try to convince us that what we're doing is wrong, that this practice of sexual transmutation, sexual magic, pranayama, these things are harmful for us. And they have many reasons and intellectual speculations for why it is good to orgasm. They have many justifications. They use the intellect to try to convince and to mislead. Personally, I can explain uh, an experience of one of my students where he awoke in the mental world, in the internal dimensions. He had a mental projection from his physical body. And he was immediately confronted by a demon in the mental world. And uh, Samael and Vior explains that the worst demons are not in the astral plane, where they openly attack and then we have to fight and defend ourselves and conjure with prayer. The worst are in the mental plane, where they come to you friendly, as a complimenting you, saying you have such spiritual values, and you really, but you're going the wrong way, and you need to change. They use the intellect to, in a kind, a supposedly a kind way, to, in order to divert the student. So this student, in the, one of my students in the mental plane, he didn't object. This uh, demon had a sign with him, which intuitively he recognized that this was a very, it was a hypnotic suggestion telling him that you should use your intellect and that this is the right path. So he didn't put up a, an affront, he didn't try to conjure, which was a mistake. Because afterward he awoke in Klipot, where this magician awoke in him his, his consciousness and his ego, fortified his desire, and then he had an experience, but in hell. But fortunately, uh, the student was being is, is being guided, was being guided, because his innermost came to him and warned him that to not associate with these type of individuals. But this is an example how demons, they use the intellect. They say, you know, you're, you're going the wrong way. You shouldn't be doing this. This is not good for you. And the sign, the, the way my student explained it to me, it was, a, it was like a billboard sign holding it up. And it was very convoluted, very intellectual, but it was devoid of any spiritual meaning. So he knew right off the bat it was wrong. He listened to his intuition, which is what we need to develop. So the intellect is balanced by precisely our, our connection with God. Intuition is the direct cognizance of divinity without the need to arbitrate, without the need to think. Direct perception, you use that term, right? Yes. It is direct perception of the divine without theorizing, debating, accepting, rejecting. It simply is comprehension. It is a type of cognizance which knows God and does not need to theorize or debate. This is represented in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So we have in this image the master Abramento, the sacred name of the Lord Jesus, representing Christ. And how Christ is a type of cognizance, the consciousness that needs to control the mind. His own mind is Satan, 
There's the mental body with the ego pointing down with the intellect, saying, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you but bow to me. Like Moya said, they try to hypnotize through suggestion, saying, if you just surrender yourself to me, you will have everything you want. You will have everything you need. But Christ only doesn't even contradict him. It just points up, I only follow the will of my being. This is intuition. Samuel Vior differentiates between abstract mind and concrete mind. And going back to the Kabbalah, Netzach represents concrete mind. Whereas abstract mind represents Budi, Geburah, but also Tifereth. Or better said, Tifereth. It is an abstract mind, sometimes known as superior manas, superior mind, which needs to follow the will of the being. So we find Christ represents that in this image. Tifereth. Yes, he is Tifereth, Christ will. I think you said it, and I read it in some of the literature. In our present incarnation, most people cannot go beyond Tifereth. So Tifereth would be the great you know, salvation, if you want to call it, or help us on the path, working with Tifereth. Is that so? Yes. Many in, the, in terms of initiation, there are few who get to that stage. That's another lecture in itself. Beyond Tifereth? Beyond Tifereth. But uh, to work with Tifereth, we can do, anybody can do, if they have that longing to change. And so it's important that we have to confront our own mind and to discipline it. Because if we do not discipline our mind, then we are easily victims of uh, exterior influences, the negative mental atmosphere of this world. So we find, uh, again, uh, we, this teaching by Samael and Vior in Teron Kabbalah, where he uh, emphasizes what Moria taught. We must warn the Gnostic students that the most dangerous potion that the tenorous ones use in order to take the student out of the path of the razor's edge is the intellect. They use it in order to invite us to ejaculate the seminal liquid or in order to shift the direction of our path by showing us other schools, theories, sects, etc., etc. So the, many times people come to us to tempt us, whether internal or external, whether in the physical plane or in the internal planes, always with the intellect, never from intuition. They justify their theories and beliefs saying that, well, what you're practicing is wrong and this is why my system is better. Always comparing and rationalizing and, and analyzing with the intellect. Meanwhile, the intellect cannot know God. Christ, the being, can only be known through the awakening of the consciousness which is not mind. Again, as we mentioned in the beginning, consciousness is Gebura, Budi. And it, the consciousness is the divine soul, the daughter of the innermost being. So that's the type of intelligence we need to activate. Pure perception that does not rely on the intellect, the mind. It simply knows. Pure perception is intuition. Yes. When it is not polluted by the ego, the mind. As I mentioned, the intellect is, a tool, is an instrument. It can be used for good. But we must not depend on it as our foundation. 
Because if we take this type of science as a theory, you know, this is very interesting, I, this, maybe I'll practice uh, if comparing it to other traditions with the intellect. These things are transient. The mind only knows how to store information and to compare. That's it. Whereas intuition perceives directly the fundamental root nature of Christ and knows God directly. So it's important to understand the, the mind or the mental body that it's a vehicle of thought, the vehicle of the ego. And that really, when we talk about mind and ego, we, we usually talk synonymously, that our mental body is uh, the expression of our ego. And that mind is ego, ego is mind. So I'd like to quote for you again, Samuel Viewer from Teron Kabbalah, where he explains the difference between reasoning and intuition. The process of reasoning divorces the mind from the innermost. A mind which is divorced from the innermost falls into the abyss of black magic. And I like to interject and say that black magic refers to how certain individuals use the mind to impress themselves on nature. They use the intellect, desire, in order to influence others. And so, the Desire has the power to influence others through the ego of others. And this is a violation. This is a uh, negative act. Because God respects everybody's will and does not force others to conform with his plan. He helps others as an act of grace and, and benefaction and blessing. You said the mind is that it's divorced from the intuition. When the mind is uh, infected with reasoning, constant churning of the mind, it divorces itself from God. And that is what we call a demon, a being that is divorced from their own spiritual divinity. So Samuel explains the nature of intuition here. Many times the innermost gives an order and the mind reveals itself with its reasoning. The innermost speaks by hunches or thoughts but the mind reveals by reasoning and comparison. You see in this graphic, Christ riding on a donkey. The donkey represents the mind. In order to enter the heavenly Jerusalem, our inner Christ must dominate our mind so that we can enter the heavenly city. And also in Pinocchio, the main character becomes a donkey, an ass a brain animal that is a fortification of the intellect. So notice how when Pinocchio goes to the land of play and doesn't work on himself, I mean he doesn't meditate, he becomes a mule, which is a victim of the forces of nature, the atmosphere of the negative mental influences of this world. So when we talk about the, the nature of thought, it's a it's important to realize that not all thinking is negative. Not all thought is bad. However, the great majority is due to the conditioning and abuse of our mind. Uh, Samael and Vior explained that 97% of human thoughts are negative and harmful. And that correlates with another number relating to how much ego we have, which is 97%. We are like an iceberg of the depths of which we do not comprehend. This is 
verifiable by the fact that if we close our eyes in meditation and observe ourselves, that we see darkness. We don't have a connection with God. We don't communicate directly with God. We don't know the being. Neither when we physically go to sleep do we have astral experiences. When we're awake out of the physical body. And eight hours go by and we don't remember anything, even if we had in dreams. This is a, shows us that we really are asleep, that we're ignorant, without knowledge, gnosis. Because to be ignorant doesn't mean to not have book knowledge. It means to not know God. Therefore, we are all ignorant. So, out of that 97%, we have the capacity to receive messages from the being which can come in the form of thoughts. This is a form of intuition. It is not a result of the churning and mechanicity of the mind, but it is a shock of lightning, which strikes the mind and illuminates our understanding for in the immediate instant. So I'd like to quote for you uh, Sufi doctrine. They are the mystics of Islam. From a book uh, called Al-Risala by a master named Al-Kushari where he explains the Sufi doctrine on the nature of thought. Thoughts, kawatir, are declarations that arrive in one's awareness. This may result from the dictation of an angel, or from the dictation of a devil, or from the operations of the ego, or may come from the truth, glory to him. If thoughts come from an angel, they are called inspired suggestions, ilham. If they are from one's ego, they are called notions, hawajis. If they are from Satan, they are called imaginations and anxieties, waswas. If they are from the truth, glory to him and his dictation to the heart, they are called true thought, katir haq. And all of these are a kind of talking. So the word haq or hakika in Arabic is truth. It's one of the names of Allah. And God is the truthful, the real, the omnipresent. It's our innermost. The Hebrew word for innermost is El. In Arabic is Allah. It's the same, same teaching, same meaning. It's El Al. The airline, what is that? El Al. El is the first, I think that's the first word. I might be thinking of Eliel, which is relevant to this because uh, we have a certain prayer when we conjure our mind. We say, in the name of Raphael, God of Mercury, he gone before Eliel, Sam Gabil. Eliel means God is God. And so in that conjuration, we're in the conjuration of the seven specifically, we are rejecting the negative forces of the mind. But that's another topic. And so we have to understand that uh, if we are in meditation, if we have a silence of our mental experience, we can receive the messages of the being, the superior influences, which can come as katel al-haq, thoughts of truth. It's a type of understanding or concept in the mind, which is superior. Again, this is very different from our negative, common churning of uh, mentation throughout the day. You mentioned we are silent in the mind. There's the chariot again, the way I see it. It's the absolute receptivity, the receptive, yes. silent in the mind. Victory and all that ties in with what you're saying. As far as symbolism, symbolisms could be powerful. That chariot and the tarot card, when they color it especially, but it, it can really leave a message. 
and uh, the mind needs to adopt a receptive state in order to reflect the images of God as well as the messages of God. So Al-Kushari elaborates on this teaching about uh, the different types of thought. When a thought comes from an angel, its reliability can only be known through the corroboration to be found in religious knowledge. Because of this, the Sufis have said, every thought unattested by a point of outward practice is in vain. This is exactly what Sabayalan Vior taught, that knowledge must be balanced with being. Our level of being needs to be harmonized through study. So we need to study and to practice. Cultivate the mind, but also to comprehend the mind in meditation. We always have to confirm our internal experiences with external facts. This is the only way to arrive at reliability of our experiences. If we have an experience that doesn't coincide with scripture, if it's just gibberish and has no real symbolism or connection, we have to disregard it. But if it's in line with the scriptural teachings of whatever religion, then we can be sure and certain that we have arrived at direct knowledge. When a thought is from the devil, the greater part of it will be a summons to disobedience. When it is from the ego, for the most part, it will be a call to the satisfaction of a desire or the indulgence of a feeling of vanity or some other characteristics particular to the ego. The shaykhs, the masters of Islam, agree that whoever eats what is forbidden will not be able to distinguish between angelic and demonic suggestion. So what does it mean to eat what is not lawful? We typically think it means to not eat pork or drink alcohol. That's one meaning too. We have what's called the transformation of impressions. There's more than one way to eat. The physical body needs its nourishment, so we feed it. But also the heart feeds, whether good music, classical music, the great composers, uh, mantra, prayer. Or it can feed on garbage like heavy metal, rap, or a lot of rap. A lot of just negative just garbage in terms of what kind of food one can eat in one's heart. The mind also consumes information. We can read a telenovel or uh, see a soap opera and destroy our mind by ingesting those type of impressions. So these are the, this is what the Sufi initiates are talking about. When we eat something that's lawful, it means we take the impressions of life and we use it for our benefit. We nourish our mind, our heart, and our body with pure substances, good influences, not negatively charged, without any negative type of influence, basically. They continue. I heard Abu Ali al-Dakak say that when someone receives his food from a worldly source, rather than depending directly on God, he will see no difference between inspiration and fantasy. But when true effort silences the ego's notions, the testimony of one's heart grows articulate by virtue of one's suffering. This means that if we are really obeying God, we will experience a type of suffering which is the recognition that we have distanced ourselves from God, or that we have separated ourselves from our being. This is a, to, to realize this fact is heart-wrenching. 
And it is this type of recognition that grants us the courage and the will to aspire. For when we recognize our own interior nothingness, we recognize that we are really ignorant and that we do not know God. Then we make the effort to study and to practice. Therefore, uh, as uh, Samael and Vior stated, this work is accomplished through conscious, uh, conscious works and voluntary sufferings. doesn't mean we go look for trouble. It means that we accept our karma, our everyday life, and we transform it willingly. We don't object. We don't negate it. We don't complain. We accept our sufferings and we transform it through comprehension. which is synthesized in this image. The Virgin Miriam holding the Christ child. This child represents the Christ within the initiate or an individual who is incarnated the Lord. And we teach that Christ is not a person but a force. And so the mind needs to become like a child if we really want to incarnate Christ. And in order to dominate the mind, we need to develop intuition. Going back to, uh, to the beginning of this lecture, we talk about atomic forces. We possess in our physiology uh, atomic intelligences that connect us to our being. We have what is known as uh, the atom noose, N-O-U-S which is a particle that is our direct connection and communication with the innermost. We have this in the left ventricle of our heart. This atom receives the uh, impulses as well as the teachings from our being. We receive intuition through this uh, atomic force, this atom. This atom also has many characteristics which are very uh, well explained in the day spring of youth. So we have uh, the necessity to follow intuition, the cognizance of the heart, and not to obey the mind. Samael and Vior states in Tarot and Kabbalah. One has to change the process of reasoning for the quality of discernment. Discernment is the direct perception of the truth without the process of reasoning. Discernment is comprehension without need of reasoning. We must change the process of reasoning for the beauty of comprehension. The mind must be completely transformed into an infant. It must be converted into a child full of beauty. Say that again. The mind must be converted into a child full of beauty. Yes. The mind is the Holy Grail, which can receive the blood of the Lord. Is a chalice which needs to learn to receive the influences of the being of Christ. The way that we develop this intuition is precisely through meditation. Only in the silence of the mind can we receive the messages of God, whether they are kate al-hawhak, meaning the thoughts of truth, their impulses, ideas, concepts, profound understanding. We may be meditating on a scripture and then we immediately know the meaning. That only arrives when we are silent in our mind and then we receive that knowledge from God. A mind that is serene can reflect the being. 
but a mind that is distraught with the battle of the antitheses. Belief, disbelief, faith, doubt. One idea, another idea. Thesis, antithesis, pro and con. The constant churning and conflict of the mind in argument against itself. Reasoning cannot take one to the being. The mind has to be serene and innocent like a child if we are to know God. Just, just add that. I'm sure we've all had it. When, you, when you're meditating, you're trying to silence the mind. Out of nowhere, things come that don't yeah. even make sense. Didn't I? Well, what, do you, what I do is I, I get a little angry at myself. I picture my, my mind as a door. And I say, get the hell out. Get out. Get out. And after a while, it's a discipline. After a while, less and less these intruding thoughts come. And they're bizarre. They're crazy. You know, they don't make sense. They're in there. They just bombard you. Because when you think about it, while you're meditating, you say, what was that? That doesn't make sense. But still, it try, It was there. Trying to get in your mind. So something has to come up. As soon as you just, you feel almost like something's coming in, you have to do it fast. Get out. Stop. Get out. Get away from the door. But it's a discipline. you got to get it out. It's important to note that uh, we should not repress the mind. Comprehension replaces exertion. But how do you start? Exactly. When you comprehend the mind, there's no need to say or to repress. But it shouldn't be coming in then anymore. We have to allow, here's the thing, we have to allow the mind to let it speak, let it talk, but do not identify with it. Do not invest your energy into it. It's going to talk no matter what. In order for it to be silent, you have to observe it and realize that you are not these thoughts. And when you comprehend these thoughts, they start to slow down. They have less force. They have less influence. And then following our heart and comprehending our mind moment by moment, we develop a genuine sense of uh, intuition. So comprehension is intuition. It's how the mind is equilibrated. If we're constantly thinking and we're full of maybe lustful thoughts, angry thoughts, violent thoughts, it's good not to shun it away and say, I don't want to look at this. Neither feed it, but to see it as it is, to comprehend where is it coming from, what is it doing. And to when the more that we observe and stop feeding it, it shuts up. But if we force the mind to be silent, we create more antagonism in deeper levels of the mind. Because we know in these studies there are 49 levels of the mind. This is interesting you're saying that because I, I find it's true. If you, if you too much force, it's not good. It comes back. I mean, you're getting to the point to where I find it funny, and and that stops it. I don't know. I'm not funny in a second go, but I'm not. I'm losing. In other words, reducing the exertion to get it out of my. But this day by day, you find this out. It doesn't come out one or two days. When anything comes in, it's just like almost smart, but it's ridiculous. Comprehension re- replaces exertion. Exertion is the mind fighting against the mind. And that produces more antagonism. But comprehension silences the mind. So Samuelon Vior states in the Revolution of Beelzebub, the reasoning person believes that he can attain the truth through the struggle of the antitheses. But this struggle only divides the mind and incapacitates its ability to comprehend the truth. The intuitive person knows how to listen only to the voice of the silence. Thus, within his serene mind, the eternal truths of life are reflected with resplendent beauty. And notice this image of the stars. Our being emanates from the Milky Way. 
and is a reflection of that beauty. The physical galaxy in which we live is the manifestation of Christ. If we are serene in our mind, we will reflect and have the images of the being through his teachings, her teachings, and we will experience the real glory that is Christ, the being. Only if the mind is serene. We cannot force the mind to be silent. This is uh, further elaborated by Sufi initiate. He states the same thing. His name is Dulnun al-Misri. The key to success in worship lies in meditative reflection. Fikrat. Whoever persists in such reflection in the heart will behold the invisible realm and the spirit. Whoever contemplates God through keeping watch over the thoughts which pass over through his heart will be exalted by God and all of his outward deeds. So with intuition, it's precisely that immediate flash or hunch that we've grasped something different. It is an alert state, alert in novel perception. It should strike our mind and we, the mind silences. It's a, literally a vibration from the innermost which shocks the consciousness. The mind silences. And so this is accomplished through uh, following the intuition or the hunches that come from our heart which relate to the atom noose. And as we demonstrate in this image with the stars, really the wisdom of all the galaxies resides in our heart. That atom, the atom noose, can teach us about the many mysteries. There's also another atom uh, relating to the mental body, which I did not mention, called the master atom. This atom resides in our seminal tract. And when practicing sexual alchemy, which we will not go further into depth, that atom rises in our spinal column and enters our mind. This atom can teach us about the wisdom of the stars. So our mental body has the capacity to teach us many things when it's illuminated. Could, could you, uh, I forgot what time was again, uh, but I forgot. He mentioned the seed atom. There's a seed, S-E-E-D. It's located in the heart. When you die, it, it somehow it, it, it breaks off. That's the atom noose. That's noose, though. That's the seed atom. When the atom noose leaves the physical body, the physical body disintegrates. And Moria talks about this very uh, extensively in his book, The Dayspring of Youth. So as I mentioned, uh, intuition is a spark, a flash, which is very sudden. The following teacher, Abu Jafar, explains in Al-Risala, insight is the first flash of intuition that comes to you not accompanied by an opposing notion. If an opposing notion comes to counter it, then know that the first notion is only a stray thought and the chattering of the mind. So our mind starts to debate about what we've experienced. Typically, we can be assured that our what we thought was something genuine is probably subjective because the mind is constantly churning and reacting. Intuition is a shock, as I keep mentioning. It is a lightning strike. It amazes the, the consciousness. And is distinguished by the fact that the mind cannot comprehend it. It's a, it's, a not, it's a different type of understanding. This type of understanding is uh, synthesized in uh, this graphic. So we've been talking about the mental body, the mind, the nature of thought, as well as intuition. Here we're going to explain a little bit about the mind of the innermost. 
because we have our own mind or mental body, but there's another type of mind, or to put it loosely, type of consciousness relating to Christ, which uh, is developed in the highest stages of initiation. So it's important to note that gods have mind, but not animal mind. They have what's called Brahma-vidya. Brahma-vidya means knowledge of Brahma, or the highest knowledge of God. And that first scripture I mentioned to you, the Katha Upanishad, is from the Brahma-vidya, the ultimate teachings on the nature of Brahma, the self. But Samayla Navir explains the following in the Revolution of Balzabab, about the nature of Brahma-vidya as mind. The Brahma-vidya is the mind of the innermost. The mind of the innermost becomes the fruit or extract of all the experiences acquired with the mental body. The Brahma-vidya becomes the aureole body of victory mentioned in the dayspring of youth. So this is the image of the innermost represented by the seven wicks of the menorah. And again, what's interesting to note is that menorah is a compound Hebrew word. Mina is sex. Aura is light. So the light of our mental body, the creation of, or the elaboration of the Brahma Vidya, the, the Christ mind of the innermost, is a result of working with the energies of sex to create that light. And we mentioned that there are seven sephiroth, seven spheres, represented by this menorah, the seven wicks. Sometimes it's nine, relating to Yesod and Kabbalah, which is the foundational energies we base ourselves on. Precisely the determinative energy or the sexual force. So what is this uh, oriole body of victory? Again, victory is netzach, mind. But we have here this image of Christ crowned with glory, representing the mind of the great masters. Moria states the following about this type of mind. The great illuminate crown of victory is that consciousness that we are to reach when we have evolved beyond the instruction of the Master Adam. And I mentioned to you that Master Adam relates to the mind of our mental body, or the mental body specifically. It is a directing force of the mind about which we know little, as it is beyond our comprehension. Yet we know that it guides and governs our innermost, and as a universal body of substance, or and is a universal body of substance, and that the great initiates are of its nature, who, though seldom heard of, can suddenly appear in a material body when needed. For they can clothe themselves when they wish. They sometimes speak through the silver shield to the student if necessary. Is it Count, Count St. Germain? I thought I read something somewhere where they said he incarnated when necessary in the human body. Yes, this refers to the mind of resurrected masters, such as Moria, who wrote The Dayspring of Youth when he was already resurrected. It's a powerful book. Everything we are teaching here comes from that text. And that mind is a, what defines a resurrected master, one who has conquered death through initiation. It's a very elevated mind. But so we uh, mentioned this in brief to emphasize that we need to transcend our current level of being, and that we need to aspire to the heights. We do that precisely through our practices of aspiration, working with mantra, silencing our mind in meditation. 
over and over again. Some people, uh, they give in the area here, all over the country, they specifically give courses in pranayama. Yes. Will we ever get to the point to where apparently it's it's not just one or two steps, or um, if they give a whole course of it, there's more involved than just saying respiration. Right. We will. We will definitely. Right. That's in the, that's in the works. All right. The way we uh, develop our mental body, that we nourish it with uh, transformative atoms, aspiration atoms, Christic forces, we do it through mantra, vocalizing the sacred vowels, the seven vowels of nature. To conclude, or to uh, emphasize uh, the main points of this lecture, I'd like to quote for you again from the Daysmith of Youth. This is a section from the text called Masters where he describes the requisites for developing a master mind, a mind that is in control of one's internal universe, or a psyche that has controlled the mind. And this uh, encompasses everything we've been discussing in terms of atoms, forces, the mental body, our relationship to the atmosphere of this world, how we relate to others, how we relate to ourselves. The following are some of the principles needed for a master mind. One, be above the thoughts of the minds of men. Meaning, do not identify with the thoughts or energies of other people, but be observant. Do not let your mind be controlled by other influences. Two, be above the mastering thoughts of evil and the master composite bodies of your own evil thought creation. Meaning, if there are soldiers and witches working against us, we control our mind so that we do not identify or feed into that type of uh, those attacks specifically. Three, be always master of your own mind. Dominate the mind. Do not let it be the ruler of our kingdom. Because Christ needs to ride the donkey, not the donkey on us. We need to control the mind. Be a master of it through comprehension. Four, be above the minds of the masters who create mastering thoughts of evil and make your mind master of them. For above the minds of evil thoughts, your masters stand ready to aid you. Meaning when we are afflicted by, if we are attacked in the eternal planes by black magicians, we control our mind and we do not let ourselves identify with those type of encounters. Neither do we let ourselves be influenced by negative forces outside of us. Because our inner, our inner master, our innermost, is always ready to help us. Five, be walled about by the good minds of the master's spheres. These spheres are the 10 sephiroth of the tree of life. So to be walled about by those influences means to work with our prayers, to invoke those forces, to assimilate them. Six, attract about you men with masterminds. Their forces will protect you. How do we do that? We in, means we invoke the angels to receive their help. We do that through many prayers, such as in the Gnostic prayer book, but also on our website, such as the invocation of Solomon. Seven, command the forces of your master's higher spheres. For they are able to master the minds of the men of evil who are ever near a master of magic. 
For these can dominate the minds above and below the spheres of man. Meaning we need to manifest and be guided by our innermost so he can express his force. And that way we are never manipulated or diver we never diverge from the path of our being. Because the innermost has power over heaven and hell. Black magicians only control hell. They don't know anything about heaven. Eight, be master of your soul. For the soul has power over matter. Nine, be master of your thoughts. For thoughts are mastering things. And again, when we work with determinative energy, our thoughts become fortified. Meaning if we know how to direct our mental body, we can direct those energies for the benefit of others. 10. Be alert for your master's voice as he is alert for yours. That is the most important of them all. As it says in uh, Islam, uh, if you turn to Allah, he comes walking. If you go to him walking, he comes to you running. He said, remember, if you remember me, I will remember you. And a way that we can remember God is precisely through this mantra, the mantra of intuition. Om Masi Padme Hume. It literally means, oh, my internal God. It says, this mantra, if we vocalize even just for 10 minutes a day, will awaken our intuition. It sounds like this. Om Masi Padme Masi Padme Hume. Padme, like P A D M E Y? Yes, Padme. Okay. So, if we wish to develop intuition, we can work with this mantra. Focus on the heart, visualize a brilliant white light or a blue light saturating your heart and your body. And pray to your innermost to guide you. It'll help to silence the mind. And it helps to transmute the energies of our seminal system. Which again, as we work with these forces, they nourish our nervous systems. Specifically the grand sympathetic nervous system. Relating to the heart. These are the nerve filaments related to our emotional center. Which Moria calls the secondary system. So if we want to, in conclusion, if we want to control our mind, we need to develop intuition. Because whoever follows the intellect only goes to the abyss. But whoever follows their heart, God will guide. And as the dual noon al-Misri said in this, uh, in the scripture I mentioned, he who observes his thoughts, God will reward in all his outward deeds. you have any questions? This is pertaining, um, once again, from the Garden of Eden. So they were kicked, Adam and Eve were kicked out because they spilled 
this sacred semen? Yes. So it meant that, because you're talking about the sexual energies, so are they literally not having sex, or they are literally having sex, but they're not spilling the, the, the semen? Yes. Sexual alchemy is to connect with one's partner with chaste intentions, pure mind, pure heart, and to never expel that seminal fluid. But then that has to negate the erotic element. We need the erotic element. One thing is eroticism. Another thing is lust. Eros is love, is Christ. Christ in man and woman, when they unite, they form the cross, which is a president in every religion. And when that sexuality is pure, it is divine. But if we fill it with our lust for sensation, then it pollutes the sexual act. Then you've got to separate the lust from the erotic element. We can say we need to steal fire from the devil. That's the saying we have in this tradition. And uh, when we work in alchemy in that way, we saturate our mental body with tremendous forces. When the fire of sex illuminates the mind, the mental body, up to the 33 vertebrae, relating to the higher paths of initiation, the silver shield of the mind becomes illuminated, gold. And those who have a solar mental body, meaning the vehicle of Christ, in that level, it emanates a lot of light in the mind. There's a lot of power there. So alchemy is the method by which we, again, take those energies, conserve them, never waste them. It doesn't just mean sex without orgasm. It means control, not too much movement, not too much, not lust, not too much indulgence and sensation, but a conscious harnessing of those forces, which can only be learned through practice. You have to be spiritually developed to a certain degree before engaging in, in that type of activity. And that, uh, that is why Samael and Vior stated that the descent into the ninth sphere is the greatest ordeal and maximum trial of the Hierophant. Because to, it's to be or not to be. To spill or not to spill. To control that energy or be dominated by that energy. So we return to Eden precisely through working with those uh, forces. So the same way we left, the same way we have to come back in. Exactly. In relation to this lecture, we can re-enter Eden when we only, have a mi only when we have the mind of an infant. If our mind is full of desire, if we are literally like a library of books, but no understanding, that creates a lot of conge uh, congestion and constipation, spiritually speaking. Uh, so we need a mind that's childlike in order to really take advantage of uh, working in a matrimony. Any other questions? mentioned before the idea of um, a particular individual with that encounter with uh, kind of a demon-like force individual. Um, isn't it possible that they would be mutually repellent? I mean, I, I think all of us here have probably been around something that you just say one thing and I hear, you know, just, you know, uh, not, you know, What's, what's ironic is that demons are attracted to the light, but they are repulsed by it, like a moth to a flame. I remember Moria explaining in his book that 
white magicians and black magicians revel in that struggle between good and bad because it fortifies their own intentions. But we seek not so much to struggle against uh, other people, but really control our own mind. And naturally, that helps us to radiate greater communion and happiness in relationships to others. So even though Moria was talking about the need to dominate our own mind and to be above the minds of others, doesn't mean we control other people's minds. It means we control our mind and that we elevate ourselves above the clouds. But typically, there's always this battle between angels and demons, and it's eternal throughout the cosmos. There's, there's constant repulsion between both sides. Don't black magicians, the original these, these negative black, these angels, don't they realize that's the, that's the pit? I mean, they, doesn't, they're going the wrong way. Doesn't it ever enter their minds, or even these highly intellectual lecturers, black magicians in different alcohol groups, don't, there's no light that tells them this is the wrong way. Here's a train coming at me, the whistle's blown, the red flags, and I'm on a one-way track looking at them. What is it that keeps them that, that group? Acquisition of power. And particularly the lust for power stuff. and the intellect, fortification of the intellect. They don't think they're doing doing wrong. But the only way for us to know the difference is to develop our intuition. Because then we see clearly that this is negative. This is harmful. Then they didn't develop their intuition. Exactly. But uh, there are cases of certain demons who repented. You mentioned that. Like uh, Beelzebub. There's a book by, I mentioned, I was quoting from you often, from uh, The Revolution of Beelzebub by Samael and Vior, where he explains the, this difference between white magic and black magic, intuition and intellect. He helped, uh, in the, he explains in his, uh, through experiences, how he saved a prince of demons, someone who was very far down in hell, and helped this individual rise, rise change. So it's possible. So when I encounter people who are particularly negative, I have faith that the being can change them. But not to force my way upon them, but if they choose to follow, that's their path. If they don't, hopefully they will not spend too much time there. Hopefully. So you can, you can fall to the lowest depths and you can still come up, rise back up? Yes, if, if God forgives that soul, and if uh, there's still a spark left, meaning the being has completely divorced him or herself from the soul. Now, all of us who are here, when we were following our intuition, obviously, we have an opportunity. If we have a physical body, it means we have an opportunity to practice. But if we continue to behave in mistaken ways, then we will pay the consequences. The difference lies in whether we develop intuition or intellect. These people, there's millions of people who say who they are. They are religious, they've got good hearts. They, they're in these conventional religious. Right? That's all they, they, they can only go so far there, obviously. Okay, and then, but they feel that I'm on the right track. You know, well, I did things, but I'll get the last rights. You know, they'll come and give me what? What do they call it in church? Not absolution. Extra. Yeah. Absolution yeah. or something yeah. like that. When obviously when we study the metaphysical philosophies, that's not enough. No. They just it never dawned on them to open their minds, take an eclectic approach to. Since every time they face a cemetery, they should realize, well, that's yeah. But between now and then, you know, it should dawn on them. Have I done enough? 
what else is there? Something tells me there's more than what they tell me from the pulpit. Or some of the things that are going on in the Vatican, you know. They don't those, those development of those beliefs are precisely intellect, mind, yes. not the cognizance of divinity. So we make that we make a stark differentiation in terms of esoteric studies. We choose to experience, not to store information in the intellect. But there's no, in other words, people who we try anyway say the group here soul searching. It never dawns on them. No. This is yeah. enough. They want to be told. They want to be told this is enough. You too yeah. can be saved. You know, they want the soothing syrup of instant salvation. They want the easy way. Easy way. But it never does on a Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. But straight is the gate, uh, but wide is the gate, and broad is the way to Gehenna, destruction, and many go in thereat. And the way that one falls into destruction is precisely by following intellect, not intuition. Yeah, these are well-intentioned people, too. You know, they just feel, this is enough. They don't want to hurt him. You know what I'm saying. But in other words, no light came and said, wait a minute, there's more to it than this. There has to be. Rudolf Steiner said it. I'll never forget one of his books. He said there's much more to this universe than organized, well, he called them the confessions. What he meant was organized religion. Okay? That, that they tell you there's more to this than that. I mean, you read those words, you say, yeah. I mean, and he was, an, you know, he really makes an impression. He was an advanced, you know, adept. There's no question. Steiner. You know, the Waldorf School, organic farming. He had a PhD in agriculture, which uh, they say helps a lot. You mentioned to him. A lot of those people are educated in the ways of the world, material science, till they wake up and say, wait, what's behind? There's forces behind the Steiner did it. Emanuel Swedenborg, I'm sure you heard of him. He was, oh yeah, he was a scientist in the 18th century. But at least, you know, they say there's more to it, but... Most people, and like you said, you don't. Some of these people really get fanatic. You go to those groups. Why don't you go to church and stuff? Why don't you listen to, you know, they already told you what you have to do. So the main difference in uh, our studies in relation to the study of mind pertains to comprehending the, the function of the mind and not being hypnotized by it. Because people are hypnotized by the intellect and theories and beliefs, but we choose to walk a different path, which is uh, developing that intuition. Only the mind as young as it, that is like an infant will truly comprehend the mysteries of God. Because uh, be ye as little children if you wish to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, now Before you might think, oh, kid, what does a kid know? That way, you know, he's only a baby. But boy, when you look into it, there again, when you really look into that, become he is a child. You say, there's a reason why Christ said that. Right. So we have any more questions? We'll uh, you cover a lot. include. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at chicagognosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. 
May all beings be in peace.